All right, kiddos, you guys can come on down here. So that means uh, three-year-olds through kindergarten, right? Is that right? We haven't done this in so long. You're going to meet Brooks and Debbie down here, or Debbie and Brooks will be down there in a minute. We're going to do some children's church again. This is good. I'm with Jay. This is good to see these kiddos again and singing, and it's awesome. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Exodus chapter 20 while they're coming down here. Um, I want to let you guys know one thing while you're doing this. Uh, we've had a lot of meetings with the deacons lately over some things, and, and especially over just security and protection here at the church. And so uh, if you guys are ever running late uh, and you get here late or anything like that, uh, just know every one of these doors are going to be locked after church starts. I mean, every single door. And so if you need to get in, you can go to this door back here. And there will be a deacon back there watching for you to let you in. Uh, but we're doing that just, uh, sadly, it's just where we live these days. We've got to protect everybody. Uh, we have security cameras now everywhere, and Chad's up there keeping an eye on those. And uh, just something we're doing to try to look out for you guys and let you know we love you, okay? All right, Exodus chapter 20. Chapter 20, we'll just start in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given us. Again, thank you for your commands. Thank you that they are good and right and true, that your commands, especially the moral law found in the Ten Commandments, show us how life works best. Father, it is the commands of a loving Father who says, I want to look out for you and protect you and give you the freedom to run and play in the front yard. And so today as we look at these, uh, especially commandment number two, show us areas of our lives that we're blind to. Show us areas where we need to repent from uh, serving false gods or, or worshiping uh, you incorrectly, Father. Show us those areas. And Father, I pray above all that you would just train our eyes back on Jesus because it's through Jesus that we see God. It's through Jesus that we worship. Jesus is our mediator who stands between you and us, and who is interceding and praying for us, and it's all about him. And so today I pray that we would make a big deal about him. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you guys remember last week, we said that God sets free. That was the, the preamble, if you will, of Exodus 20 in chapter 2, that I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. You didn't do it. You didn't rescue yourself. You didn't decide to leave. I did it all. Right? So, so I'm the one who's done that. And so since I'm the one who's done that, now I have a right to give you rules. I have a right to give you commands. We have 19 chapters of nothing but grace and mercy until we get to one chapter that has anything to do with commandments in Exodus. And what we said is that God's rules are not that of a cruel taskmaster or judge. God's rules are that of a loving father who says, listen, I love you. And nothing can change my love for you. And because I love you so much, here are rules to protect you. Here are rules to keep you safe. It's like we said last week. These are the rules that enable you to have the freedom to run and play in the front yard safely. That's what it is. And what God says very first is that I don't want any other gods before me. 
I'm to be the only God in your life. I don't want any competitors. So this idea of a list is not a good way to look at it, where God's first and everything else is second. God says, I don't want a second even behind me. I want to be the hub in which everything in your life revolves around. I am preeminent. I am most important in your life. And what we said last week is that we are all in danger of running to functional gods. All of us do it. That we will place things in our lives and we will worship them as gods. And oftentimes those can be good things that we make God things. But when we take good things and make them God things, those things become bad things. And so we have to constantly be examining our hearts and reorienting our lives back around the one true God. Repenting of our false gods and returning to worship the one true God. Okay, So that's first commandment. Now there's a lot of misconceptions around the second commandment. And honestly, most evangelicals will read the second commandment and they think, well, no false gods. Well, that's just kind of a reiteration of the first commandment. Like when you're trying to get on your kids, right, and you repeat yourself, you're like, don't do it. Don't do it. Right? And you say it twice, it's like, hey, I'm trying to get the point across. And a lot of evangelicals think that's kind of what God's doing. It's like, he's saying, hey, I don't want any false gods, and then he repeats himself. Catholics will say that commands one and two are actually one command. So if you have any Catholic friends, they believe in nine commandments, not ten, because one and two are just the same thing, okay? And I understand the confusion, but listen, they are in fact two different things. They're two different things. Now, I don't know if any of you love church architecture, but I do. I kind of geek out on it, especially Catholic churches. They have some of the most beautiful churches. If you've ever been to Santa Fe and you've been to the Cathedral Basilica of St. Francis Assisi that's down there on the square, if you ever get a chance to go in there, that thing is just gorgeous. It's beautiful. Like, I always have these dreams of going in there and actually preaching the Bible to people. Like, I just keep thinking, like, people get saved today, right? Take that, Pope Frankie, right? I'm going to get after it. There's a brand new Catholic church on our way into Denver right off of I-70, I mean, it's beautiful. It's got a copper roof. Uh, I always keep thinking if I didn't have the kids, I would stop and go meander around in that thing for a while. Then you see Protestant churches. Most of them are beige. They're not very pretty. Every Baptist church has red carpet, just like this. right? And, And we have a beautiful building, don't get me wrong. But have you ever noticed that, that like most Protestant churches aren't very pretty? Okay, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is going to be found right here in the second commandment, all right? And so when we look at the second commandment, it is the longest of the commandments. And it has four parts to it that I want you to remember. It has the rule, why we do it, the reason behind the rule. There's a warning attached to this commandment. But then there's also a promise. So you have the rule, the reason, the warning, and the promise. So let's look at the rule first. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So commandment one, worship the one true God and him only. Commandment two, make sure you worship him correctly. That's what commandment two means. There's one true God, commandment one. Commandment two is worship him correctly. Now the command is not ruling out making things. Because at this point a lot of Christians go, well what about art, Byron? 
What about art? I mean, God gave us gifts and abilities. Aren't we supposed to have art, uh, stained glass windows, those things? Like, like, like can't, can we not do that? Well, it's not ruling out making things, but it is ruling out making things to serve as objects of worship. That's what it's ruling out. So they're being forbidden from making images of God to use in worship. All right? Great example. Okay? As Jay said earlier, we got Lee Greenwood and Jesus. Okay? Now, I get it as Baptists. We don't necessarily come in and bow down to these things. But technically, this would be a second commandment violation that I'm holding in my hand. Because we don't know what Jesus looked like. In fact, these like fairy Jesuses that are everywhere, right, with the really long, pretty feathered hair, that's a medieval invention right there. Most Jewish men, like, long hair would not be, like, the cool thing to do. Like, you'd probably end up dead if you had long hair, right? That's kind of in the Bible. Okay? If you think about, like, any uh, old uh, art of, of God the Father, how does any old art of God the Father look? He's an old man, right? Have you ever thought about that? He's this old man up in the sky with thunder and lightning. Well, there's a problem with that. The Bible's very clear that the reason we age is because of sin. God's never sinned. So technically, God's probably younger than most of us in this room. Second commandment violation. And God then clarifies with the list of idols that God forbids. So he says, nothing in the sky, nothing in the ground, nothing in the sea. They are not allowed to represent God in any form, in anything of all creation. I mean, that pretty much covers what they're getting at here. And let me tell you why. A huge reason is where did they come from? Egypt. You remember back when we were all like sitting in our homes, right? And we had to watch church online for a long time. And I went through the plagues. Every plague corresponded to a God. And every one of those gods had some form of an animal, correct? Whether it was a jackal or a bull or a serpent or a falcon. Like they had created these images to represent God. So they weren't to create anything as a people that were saved by God to represent him. Right? A great example of this is found in Exodus 32. So you guys all remember the story. You've all seen the movie. Charlton Heston comes down from the mountain because he's been up there with Jesus for a long time. He's been up there with God for a while. And so the people are like, hey, Aaron, we want you to make us a God so that we can worship because we don't know if this guy's ever coming back. And remember, Aaron says, give me all the gold. And Aaron takes all the gold. And in one of my favorite things in all the Bible, right, when Moses comes back, he's like, I don't know what happened. I just threw the gold in and it came out. It was the craziest thing. You know, I didn't do that. It just happened, right? But in Exodus chapter 32, verses 4 through 5, listen to what it says. Talking about Aaron, it says, And he received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation. And listen, and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, the grammar in chapter 32 is funny, but here's what he's doing. He's ascribing to these calves, these gods, the act of bringing the people out of Egypt. But then he says, we're going to worship Yahweh tomorrow. So see, Aaron... And the people consider the golden calf to be an image of Yahweh. So in other words, they're worshiping God, but they're worshiping him through the image of this calf. That would be a second commandment violation. Okay? 
One more example, because you're all looking at me funny. In 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10, you read about King Jehu. Jehu comes in and he's praised because he eliminates Baal worship. He, he, he puts Queen Jezebel to death and then he kills all of Jezebel's prophets of Baal. And in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 28, it says, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. Right? Way to go, Jehu. It starts out really good. But Jehu, he refused to worship other gods. But then check out the next verse, chapter 29. It starts out good, but it says, But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. So listen, the golden calves did not represent other gods. They represented God. So they were worshiping the right God, but they were worshiping him wrongly. They're worshiping that God through an idol. They're worshiping that God through something that they crafted that they could see. Right? Joe and I were talking about this this week, and anytime you see in the Old Testament where they refused to get rid of the high places, the high places weren't necessarily to false gods. They were high places to God where they had idols of God to worship him through. That's a second commandment violation. So let's go back to our example of church architecture. Stained glass pictures of the Bible and the life of Jesus were created to help the illiterate understand the gospel. So people who couldn't read would come into churches. They would see the life of Jesus displayed uh, on windows. And as they went through that, they were able to understand the gospel. And they were able to be saved and come to faith in Christ. That's a good thing. But over time, here's what began to happen. They began to come in and they would go up to those stained glass windows. And what would they do? They would bow down and cross themselves. They would begin to set aside these images and they would begin to worship him. They would take Jesus and put him on a candle and they would light him you know, on, their, on, their, on their mantle and all those things like that. That's what happened. And so the Protestant Reformation comes along and they say, hey, the second commandment is warning us of the dangers of giving priority to the visual over the verbal. Of giving priority to the visual over the verbal. Genesis 3 is a great example. So in Genesis chapter 1, what does God do? He speaks, verbally speaks, the whole world into existence. He creates all by speaking. And then he comes to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and what's he say? Hey, it's all yours, kids. Live free, run, have a great time, serve me, stay away from that tree. That's it. Everything else is yours. Pretty simple. But then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and what does Eve do? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, what does it say? Check it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What did she just do? She gave priority to the visual over the verbal. So during the Protestant Reformation, we said, hey, our churches need to be constructed in such a way that priority is given to the verbal over the visual. So, so we want to avoid worshiping the right God in the wrong way. So we made our churches ugly, right? We didn't want anybody to come in and be like, oh, stained glass windows. Not that any of you old Baptists have never done that in here. All right? Yeah. We didn't want that to happen. And that's why a lot of you Protestant churches, where's the centerpiece of the room? The pulpit. Because we want to give priority to the verbal over the visual. See, we worship wrongly 
when we allow something to come between us and our worship of God. Something man-made in particular. The Bible's very clear that there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that. So when we walk into a beautiful church building, okay, this is a good example, and we say, I feel so close to God here, that's a second commandment violation. The building can't bring you any closer to God than Jesus has already brought you. He can't. You can walk in and say, what a beautiful building. I do that every day when I come to this church. I do that every day about 5 o'clock when the sun's hitting our stained glass right up there. It's beautiful, right? I say that all the time. But I don't ever say when I'm here, I feel closer to God, because then that would be me worshiping through something to get to God, right? Okay, well, what about music? When we worship through certain styles of music or certain songs, and a great many people, and it still happens to this day, we've sadly not gotten over this yet, but a great many people will get mad and leave churches because of the music. So when you say it's a certain style or nothing, you're worshiping God, yes and amen, but you're worshiping him wrongly, okay? And even, let me give you another example of this. When we sing certain songs, if we're not careful about what we're singing, we can be worshiping God, but be worshiping him wrongly. Right? I'll give you a great example. That last song we sang today is a beautiful song. I love that song. What a beautiful name. But there's a line in that song that we changed deliberately. There's a line in that song that says, you couldn't imagine heaven without us, so you brought heaven down to us. Well, folks, that's unbiblical. The Bible's very clear that God was completely content in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He did not need you. Out of the overflow of joy that is found in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God created the world. And then because we broke it, God said, I love you and I'll bring you back. But God did not need us. So when we sing something like that, we're singing something that's unbiblical that goes against the Bible. So if you notice, we changed the words really, really easily. We said, uh, sent from heaven as our ransom. Yes and amen. Making way where there was none through Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer, sin and death were overcome. That's the gospel. See, the other way puts all the emphasis on you. You're so amazing and special and wonderful that God just, he just had to have you. He couldn't imagine life without you. Well, I don't care what your mama told you. No, that's not true. You're not that awesome. Neither am I. Okay? So music's a big one. So listen, we worship through certain, um, we should love to sing because we love Jesus. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. I feel God's presence not through music, but music helps us awaken uh, our senses so that we can worship God. But I'm close to God because of Jesus, not because of a style of music. Right? Okay, here's another good one. What about creation? A good many people will worship the creation. So they'll see beautiful sunrises or sunsets or the beauty of the mountains or the oceans, and they'll say really foolish things like, this is my church, right? Like, I feel really close to God. Like, this is where I'm the most closest to God when I'm out here. That's, that, 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 that brings me close to God. I had a friend tell me the other day that he sees more of God sitting on the beach than he does in church. I very politely wrote him a ticket and said it's a second commandment violation. <laughs> See, the creation is meant to point you to the one who created it. 
but you don't worship God through the creation or say you're closer to God because of the creation. You're close to God because Jesus brought you to God, not because of a mountain sunrise. And the other thing is, is when we look at the creation and we begin to worship it, understand as beautiful as it is, it is still fallen. It is still broken. It has not yet been redeemed. And so we are worshiping something that is not, that is not made right yet. Right? Romans 125 talks about this. What does Paul say? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Okay? Last one. A lot of people worship God through pastors. Here we go. Everyone has a favorite pastor, right? And in this day and age, everybody has a favorite internet pastor, right? You all got Joel or whoever it is you're listening to. Motivational speaker, not a pastor. Um, Our favorite person who helped them grow closer to the Lord. But listen, when that pastor's gone, they quit coming to church. Y'all ever seen that happen? Or they just won't get behind and support because they go, hey, well, you know, I, I just, man, I, I can't jive with this new guy, right? He looks funny, he dresses funny, he doesn't wear a suit and tie. I don't like his style. Now, that's worshiping the right God, but you're doing that through a pastor. The pastor didn't die to bring you closer to God, Jesus did. God may have used the pastor, and that's awesome, but listen, if you're depending on the right pastor to worship, second commandment violation. I mean, you guys get the point, right? It's worshiping the right God, but it's worshiping him wrongly. It's worshiping him through something. So whether that's through architecture or through music or through creation or through a pastor, and on and on we could go, it's worshiping God, yes, but it's worshiping him through something else. So that's the rule. Right? Do not worship God wrongly. And God gives us the reason. Look why. In verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, don't think of human jealousy that's just like petty and ridiculous, right? Like that's my man, right? Don't, Don't think of that kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about. One commentator put it this way, godly jealousy is not the insecure, insane, and possessive human jealousy that we often interpret this word to mean. Rather, it is an intensely caring devotion to the objects of his love, like a mother's jealous protection of her home or a father's jealous guarding of his home. Right, Dad? You you get that. You want to protect your house. You want to make sure that nobody gets in there to harm your kids. That's the kind of jealousy that they're talking about. If you remember last week, we said that God's love is an exclusive love. God doesn't say in commandment one that you can have another God as long as he's first. No, he's the only God, and he's the only one that we should ever bow down to, folks, okay? We bow to no man but God. That's it. Christopher Wright, a lot smarter than me, put it this way. A God who was not jealous would be as contemptible as a husband who didn't care whether or not his wife was faithful to him. Part of our problem with this profound covenantal reality is that we have come to regard religion, like everything else, as a matter of consumer choice. We resent monopolies, but the unique and incomparable only living God makes necessarily exclusive claims and has the right to a monopoly on our love. Jealousy is God's love protecting itself. 
God has every right to tell you how to worship him correctly. And he has commanded you and I not to disregard his love by turning him into an idol. See, the whole idea of idolatry rests on human beings trying to make God in their own image, doesn't it? I mean, that's it. So, so you see this all the time when people say things like, well, God will bless me if I live a certain way. If I do the right things, God's going to make me rich. Or if I pray every day, it won't let bad things happen to me. If I follow the right parenting method, my kids will grow up to be godly. Right? In other words, if we approach God the right way, we'll get what we want. And that is not the true God. That is a God that you have fashioned and made in your own image. That is you bowing down to something else. We do it when we emphasize things we like about God and we minimize the rest. So I really like God's love, but that wrath thing, that not touching the mountain, I don't think that's true. I really love his grace, but I don't like his law, so we're just going to ignore that. And what God's saying is that I am jealous and I will not give my love to another. I am the true God. You will worship me correctly as I am presented in the pages of Scripture. And so because he's jealous, he gives us a warning. So the rule is, worship me correctly. Don't worship me through something else, right? Um, the reason is because he's jealous. And then look, at verse 5 again, here's the warning. He shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. So the warning, if you worship me wrongly, if you worship false versions of me, I'm going to visit your sins to the third and to the fourth generation. So how many times do we say things like this? Like mother, like daughter. Like father, like son. Or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That's kind of what they're getting at here, right? In this passage right here, it bothers a lot of people. Because again, I just told you, we form God in our own image. So we'll say, well, one generation sinned, and so God's going to punish three or four? Pfft, not my God. That's not fair. Well, real quick. When you say that, you're inferring that the third and fourth generations weren't just like their parents. Ouch. He says, those who hate me. So he's talking about parents and mainly fathers who hate God, who raise kids to hate God, who raise grandkids who hate God, who raise great-grandkids who hate God. In other words, that's not a life of freedom. That's a life that leads to death. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can look at your family history and see how this has played out. That our kids become like us or that we end up becoming like our parents or walking in the same ways that our parents walk in. We all can see it if we just look in our families. It's there. Right? And let me just clarify a few things that bothers me real quick. So if you're a baby boomer in here and you start going, well, them dadgum millennials are all the millennials. Those are your kids. I'm a millennial. My father is a baby boomer. Don't gripe about them. You raised them. Gen X, you don't get off the hook. You're sitting here looking at all the rioting and the protesting, and you're going, oh, these Gen Z kids, and just no respect for authority. They just don't respect anybody. They're your kids. You raised them there, Judd Nelson, walking out raising your fist at the end of the breakfast club. That's you. You didn't respect authority. You raised kids that don't respect authority. 
That's exactly what God's talking about right there. See, could it be that when one generation decides that church is optional and that other things are more important, that that's what happens to the kids? Could it be that you farmed out your kids' spiritual development for years and years and years to youth pastors, hey, go take care of them. I ain't going to worry about this at home, man. That ain't my job. You guys, we pay you to do that, remember. I mean, that couldn't be the reason, right, could it? But that's what the Bible just said right there. That's why those of you, listen, if you've got kids my age, they're still young, right? We're still there, okay? Let's not repeat the sins of our parents. We, we can break the cycle. We can teach our kids to love and worship the true God. But listen, what's the scripture just say? Who's it start with? I don't think it says mamas. No, it doesn't. It says fathers. It starts with the dads. It starts with the dads. Every single time. You can look at study after study after years and years and years of studies. And every time the studies come back the same. And what is that study? So the man goes, so the house goes. Almost every time. So it means men, stop being lazy. Get up and get your family to church. Read your Bible. Love Jesus. Let your family see you read the Bible and love Jesus. Let them see those things, right? Because listen... When we do those things, check it, verse 6, there's a promise, there's a warning, but I love verse 6 because it's so great. But showing steadfast love to thousands, right? And maybe your Bible says that if not, there's a footnote, it says to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He shows steadfast, patient, gracious love to thousands of generations, Punishment, three to four generations, but blessings go to thousands. Isn't that cool that our God is happy to pour out grace? That's what that means. God is happy to change families. So what's the key? Love me. That's the first commandment. Second commandment, worship me rightly. That's the key. Love me. Worship me rightly. See, God's commands show you how life works best. They show you how we can be free to run and play in a front yard. Okay? I, I was talking to, to, to Thomas over here, and some of you guys have gotten to know Thomas Roberts this week, and I called him, so he knows I'm doing this, okay? But I've gotten to know his family a little bit. I went to his grandmother's funeral, and I've met his dad, and I've seen some things through that. But Thomas would be the first to tell you that he comes from a long line of people who loved and served Jesus. And now, by God's grace, he's trying to raise his children to love and serve Jesus, right? Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to work correctly, right? So don't think of it as a formula and you just plug it in, God will bless you. That's not always the case. It doesn't mean our kids will be perfect, right? Mine was calling her teacher Felicia this week. We had to have a conversation. Your teacher's name is Mr. Hicks, not Felicia. Sorry, Jordan. But listen, there's a pretty good chance that the bulk of your kids will grow up to love and follow Jesus if you'll just model it for them in the home. So how do we worship God then, right? I can get you're still kind of confused. I get it. Okay, Byron, yeah, we don't worship through something, right? We want to worship him correctly. Well, how do we do it? Well, Jesus explains it to us. Thank you, Jesus, for telling us. In John chapter 4, verse 24, what does he say? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So brothers and sisters, every time you open up the Bible, you see that the Bible constantly speaks of Jesus as being the image of God. 
2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Colossians 1.15, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. John 1.18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. It's Jesus. Hebrews 1.3, He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. During the Last Supper, what did Jesus say to Philip? Philip's like, we want to see God. And what does Jesus say? Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. See, we worship through Jesus. Jesus is enough. We don't need to look elsewhere. We look to Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. We see God in Jesus, and we meet Jesus through the pages of Scripture. It's there that we see how far God's jealousy goes. It's there that we see that although we were sinners, that Christ died for us. It's there that we see the image of God, Jesus Christ, emulated. And we also see God's image torn. It's where we see his heart and love for you most clearly at the cross. As he tells you that I am so zealous for your love that I am willing to lay down my life and die for you. Nothing in all of creation that has been created would dare go that far for you. But I did. So in other words, the second commandment means that he wants you to worship him, not some cheap counterfeit. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Band's going to come back up and and we're going to sing again. And listen, we're going to sing what a beautiful name again. Because there is no more beautiful name than the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we worship God, we want to make sure that we're worshiping him correctly. And the way we worship him is through his son, Jesus Christ, who stepped down out of heaven, who lived the life we should have lived, who died a death that we deserved, who was beaten and bloody and torn on a cross so that he could bring you to the Father. And then three days later, he rose again saying that I've secured your salvation and you are mine. And because you are mine, I want you to worship me and worship me only and worship me correctly. And so brothers and sisters, I think we all have blind spots on this. And so today, could we repent? Could we ask for forgiveness? Knowing that our God is ready to pour out grace on those of us who ask. Could us as men in this room take stock as we always should men to see where maybe we need to be leading our families better and today Repent of those things and make today the day that we walk out of here and say, hey, I'm going to change some things. And then finally, if you don't know Jesus today, I'd invite you to trust in him, to allow him to be your exodus, to allow him to be the one who has brought you out of a life of slavery and sin into a glorious life of freedom that only he can give. And so if that's you today, don't leave until you come and talk to me or Joe or grab a friend today and just say, hey, I didn't know Jesus when I came in here, but something's changed in my heart today. And today he saved me and he's changed me and he's redeemed me. So Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for all that you've given us. Help us to always make sure that we are worshiping the one true God, you. That he is the center of which everything revolves around in our life. And then help us to always make sure we're worshiping him correctly. Not through something or someone, but, but, but Father, worshiping him because of what he's done for us. Worshiping through our mediator, Jesus, who died to bring us to the Father. Thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand.